because if you had secure attachment, then you wouldn't have all the other stuff that goes wrong in the world. And you would be able to exercise the resiliency muscle. Welcome to The Wayfinder Show with Adam Lacey and Luis Hernandez, where guests discuss the why and how of making changes in their life that led them down a greater, more authentic path or allowed them to level up in some area of their life. Our goal is to dig deep and provide not only knowledge, but actionable advice to help you get from where you are to where you want to be. Come join us and find the way to your dream life. Welcome back to the Wayfinder Show. I'm Adam with my partner Louie. Louie, what's going on today? Oh man, as always, living the dream out here in Denver, Colorado. Man, these winds have been crazy. I've been yeah. wanting to get out and run, and I think it's, it looks all beautiful outside. And then you go outside, and these winds are just like making it extra cold. It just hasn't been fun. It was nuts. Yeah. I went for a walk this morning, and and it was like 18 degrees outside, so I knew it was going to be kind of cold. But that wind just—I mean, it was. It was about as cold as as it can get. I think I felt it felt like that way at least. So yeah, I don't know. crazy. Hey, I gotta ask you before we talk about today's guest. I'm really excited about her. But I, I so today's day two of your post uh, 75 hard era. It is, and I know last night you text me. You're going to 105 West 105, which I know is a local brewery. I went to 105 West and had All a right, beer so did with you my celebrate? wife. It was good. It was good. Yeah. It, it yeah. Was, Something she wanted to do, and and yeah, I can't say that I didn't either. So it was good. We just went and had a beer, and then and then went back home. But how did it feel after after seventy five days of no alcohol? It was you. Were you able to? Did that go all right? It was good. It went fine. Um, did you yeah. like? Oh man, I missed this. Or, well, it was, was bittersweet. No, I don't know. It was just one of those things. It's like, ah, do I really want to even do this again? But then, yeah, once I did, it was fine. And and yeah, and yeah, it was good. I like I like beer, so it was good. Yeah, as long as it good. doesn't get out of control, I don't think that's it's, right. It's too big of a deal. So that's right. Yeah, I'm all curious about your post 75 hard journey. It seems like than your actual 75 hard. But uh, congrats on getting it done, man. And you earned that beer. So that's yeah, good. thank you. Yeah. So today I'm really excited uh, to introduce my good friend, Sarah Cohen uh, here. Sarah Cohen and I are runners together. We've been running with Revolution Running. Uh, I now run with the Denver chapter, but I, I used to live in the Boulder area and got to know Sarah quite a bit there. Uh, and, and we've gotten to become good friends. Uh, we would go on oftentimes outside of our runs. Uh, we'd meet up on Sundays, if I remember correctly, when you were training for Chicago. Oh, right. And we talk about your your preparation for your first marathon in Chicago, which was really great. Yeah. And uh, she's become quite the runner and, um, and, and, you know, we've been good friends, but the reason why we have her on is because uh, Sarah, uh, not only is she, a, she's a psychotherapist, which I think is fascinating, but not only is she a psychotherapist, but she's a psychotherapist in Boulder, Colorado, which is probably one of the most competitive towns in the world, you know, there's a saying that, you know, you can be number one in the world, but number three in Boulder, right? And that applies to just about anything, uh, whether it's running or biking or, or business or whatever it is, this is like a hyper successful community, you know, definitely punches above its weight. 
So I thought her being in that community and working with some uh, different folks from there would would um, would give us a, some really great insights as to working with su some successful people there. But yeah. before we go into that, I'd like to know a little bit more about Sarah. So Sarah, tell us a little bit about yourself. Okay, well, thanks for having me first off. I was really looking forward to this. Um, I grew up in outside of Boston in Newton, one of the Western suburbs. Yeah. Um, and even now today, it still surprises me. Like everyone's heard of Newton. It's like, that's just the place I grew up in. Yeah. But it's just one of these nice upper middle class communities. It checks all the boxes. It's a good place to be from. It's kind of a bad place to go to high school. It didn't work <laughs> socially. And because it was, I compete on my feet with running with myself. Yeah. But it, I don't like all that social competition and showy and mean spirited. And I just couldn't get out of there fast enough, honestly. And um, went to college for a couple of years. There was no such thing as a gap year then. I didn't know what I wanted to do. And it's like, well, why continue? So I came out to Boulder when I was 20 with a little Army Navy duffel bag, like three feet long and my pillow. And that was it. And it's just like, wow. Ooh, I need an adventure. I didn't even have the word adventure then. And it just worked. And I stayed and... Um, that was 50 years ago. <laughs> wow. So wait, you were, you said you went at 20. So were you yeah. still in college when you moved? To no, I went for two years and then took a break. Okay. Because I just didn't know what I wanted to, I just needed a break. Yeah. So I took an eight year break. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And just, you know, dinked around and did various things and you know, worked at a shoe repair and I wound up working at Celestial Seasonings. Oh, neat. Um, we were the feared and fearsome bulk baggers and it was just fun and Boulder was young then and so was I. And, <laughs> and eventually I wanted more for my life and finished my undergraduate. And the same time I was finishing my undergraduate in psych, um, I didn't know what I wanted to do with it. I just looked at it as just a basic degree, liberal arts type degree. But one of my final semesters, I stumbled into a peer counseling class and bing, that was it. Huh. Yeah, so that just turned the light on and it, it's still shining. So I got my master's and became a psychotherapist. And this wow. was at CU Boulder? At CU Boulder, yeah. yeah. What was it about that class that, what was the spark in there? It was one of the things with high school in Newton is I felt like I just didn't find my posse, like my sure. sense of belonging. And as soon as I got into that class, it was like, oh, these people are like me. I finally have a sense of belonging with a group because... I never really identified my skill set as a skill set. It was just me being me, you know, 
I didn't yeah. really recognize that that was, you know, a, a career. It just was who I am. But when I took this class, it just kind of put things into focus. And I just galloped onto the <laughs> train and never got off. So it was just a really good fit right from the start. And I hadn't experienced that before. Nice. Now, was that part or that class part of your main curriculum that you had to take? Or was there something that drew you to elect yeah, to take that class? That's a really good question. I... It, it was just an elective that appealed to me. I just, yeah. on some probably subconscious level, felt some sense of kinship with the class. Yeah, mm. that's great. The university just kind of pulled you to it. Yeah, like. it's like when the student is ready, the teacher appears, and that's what mm. happened. Well, that's great. Yeah, yeah. I felt that way when I started running which was when my daughter was one because I could stash her in daycare at the health club and I could like quote unquote run away without <laughs> leaving her and just like, you know, get away. Yeah. And I was going up the stairs and I heard someone at the bottom of the stairs say something about running group. And it was that moment where I paused mid flight. It was one of those defining moments in life Huh. where I paused mid-flight in the stairs and went back downstairs and sort of mustered up my courage and asked what this is all about. And that's how running began for me. Wow. Yeah. So how long have you been running for now? Um, let's see, 33 years. Wow. Yeah, because Jess is 34. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Neat. What? What? Going back to the psychotherapy, so once you finished and you got your master's and all that, did you gravitate towards a certain area? Like, how did you build your practice? How did, how did this? Yeah, that's a really good question. I just, you know, that entry-level job, it's like, just take what's offered. Sure. And so I started working. I also wanted to, I just wanted to have the feeling that I could handle whatever would walk in the door. So I just threw myself off the dock. Mm. I started working with um, DUIs, eating disorders, and I did a lot of domestic violence work, male and female, with victims and offenders. And I was the first woman in the state to do that. And they were like, you can't do that. And it's like, wave a red flag in front of me and watch me. Mm. It was just like, don't tell me I can't. So I just did the whatever was available and those particular areas were available. And then I worked at the mental health center and, you know, it was like the knife and gun club <laughs> was really intense, but my supervisor was, you know, like a godsend. <laughs> he was really one of my most important people. And I, desperately miss him and um, he died a few years ago i'm sorry yeah he was just one of those special people you know when you really have a mentor that just was everything to me sure and so I what did... was it about him that that you think made him so special was it just 
supportive guidance like what he was supportive guidance he always had time for me and he always gave me his full attention he had a way of giving feedback that was so supportive and i never felt embarrassed or shamed he never made me feel small he made me feel good and capable and um it was just the best kind of parenting, mentoring, you know, that you could wish for. And he just always had my back. Now, did he have a certain niche in the in the space that you're in as far as what, what he focused his help he on? He focused on adults and he, the ethic at the mental health center was take whatever walks in the door, get your experience, you just don't say no to a case. You just, you know, bring it all on. He worked with some of the most difficult, sort of sensational, severely mentally ill, but just ordinary issues too. He was just a fierce advocate for mental health in general. And hmm. he helped me get through the political BS in the domestic violence world. Hmm. everyone was saying you can't do it and he was like watch her hmm. <laughs> so yeah he, he was very instrumental and eventually I outgrew the mental health center and they changed direction they just they just had their own pressures and I um uh started my private practice and that was in 1993 Okay. Yeah. Okay. And when you first started, what was your area of practice similar to what you were doing in the prior yeah. place? Yeah. Yep. Again, adults, mood, trauma, uh, life transitions and adjustments. And now it's more relationship, connection, communication. And I, I just love it. Got so it. what is a, a typical client? For you now, like, is there is there one? Mm. My specialty is I, I'm an attachment therapist, and what that means is looking at the attachment, the connection, the bonding between two people, relationship, communication. It's about fifty percent individuals and fifty percent couples. Mm. But whether someone comes in as part of a couple or as an individual, we're always in relationship, mm. right? Right. And so my focus is, I, I tell people there's no such thing as a quote, stupid argument because pretty soon it'd be, you know, why did you forget the milk or something? Because pretty soon it becomes do I matter? Am I a priority? Do you know me? Do you have my back? Can I count on you? Are we on the same page? Those are the most fundamental issues of human existence. They're so far from stupid. So knowing how to sort of parse it out and slow it down is, it's really a wonderful experience, um, you know, for the 
client as well as for me, it's just really exciting to get in there and save marriages and make a difference in people's lives. And that's what it means to be an attachment therapist. It's not how to argue more politely or, you know, problem solving. Um, it's really not advice and it's not really me talking. It's really learn listening with a deep ear. And I tell people I have my inner sheepdog <laughs> that I can kind of, you know, steer the conversation in a certain way that I know is gonna be most effective for them to have that sense of safety and security that we're mammals, that's what we're looking for. Huh. Right? Now, is there any advice for, for somebody that say, you know, obviously it's it's great for everybody to to see a therapist or a couples counseling if need be, but just, you know, on their own, if someone's looking to increase their communication skills and just have a better relationship with their husband or wife, do you have any kind of actionable advice that, that we could all take selfishly? <laughs> well, for sure. Um, understanding this idea about what we say in EFT is don't get sucked down the content tube. And what it means is don't get, quote, seduced by the story, the narrative. You have to really think meaning attribution. What meaning do you ascribe to you forgot the milk? What do you do on the inside? What do you show your partner on the outside? What are the red or yellow lights to being able to say what you're really struggling with? You know, those, those are the kinds of things that you just want to think about in the back of your mind. Huh. Can we walk through an example? Give me one. Okay. Uh, I'll give you a personal one. Is yep. that one? Perfect. So last night, uh, we were going to have game night at our house. And, you know, it was, I think it was suggested that we play Clue. And I wanted to play a different game. Uh, one that we never play, because I feel like we play Clue or what, a couple. And so then I went to go look at our game stuff. And I see this game, the game uh Catan in there which I don't, we've never played as a family but my wife bought it during covid and i made this smart ass comment <laughs> hey we spent all this money on this game and we've never played it why don't we play it tonight and that triggered her right and she was like no don't even go there you know all this and i'm like and then that kind of went into i you know i don't want to play i i, I want to go read my book and so i did that, you know, just being really candid here, this is what happened. Um, how would you work through that? Is that deep? Is that mm -hmm. bigger than? Oh, no, expecting? no, this is, <laughs> this is just my life. Okay. Do you have a sense of what triggered her? Like, was it? So we both got triggered, right? Because I got triggered with her response. Well, right. And then she got triggered with mine, right? Well, you make a really good point because we think of relationships as linear. Right. Why did you do that to me? But the truth is closer to what you said, Louise, is we both got triggered. We're acting and interacting and reacting to sometimes pretty subtle signals. Sure. 
right? And it doesn't matter who starts it. Like when I said, what triggered her? It's like, well, that's not really actually the best question to be honest, because you, you triggered each other and it's that meaning attribution. Like, what did it mean? What button got pushed? She didn't like, you didn't like, but there's some sub subtext that she has some narrative about you and you have some belief structure about her and you wanna take away the idea of which game we play. That's the narrative, the content, the story, getting sucked down the content. That's right. That's a dead end. Yeah. Right. So get rid of that and think, okay, what were the emotional triggers that came up for the two of you? And not that you have to answer, but it's just something to muse upon. What were the emotional triggers? What's the meaning attribution? What was happening on the inside? What was happening on the outside? What were you hoping for? I mean, you just, you, you have to really what we say kind of build the scaffolding, like kind of flesh it out about what was the underlying meaning, yeah. you know? And once the trigger has occurred between the two of you, then what happens? One goes off to read a book, the other goes off to whatever. So, you're withdrawing. Yeah. Okay. To, and what are you doing? Are you kind of trying to get yourself calmed down? What's, what are you doing? Are you building a case about you were right? I mean, again, these are just rhetorical questions, but what, what was going on? What did you show your partner? More importantly, I mean, things like this happen all the time. Right. What's more important is how do you do the repair? Because once you know how to come back together and do the repair, the rift becomes less threatening. Yeah, that's interesting. You know, it's funny. It wasn't about the game, just like you said. <laughs> I, I think for me, it was two things. Like one, I, I actually didn't want to have a family game. I, I wanted to keep reading my book, uh, reading a book on, on asking beautiful questions right now. And yeah. uh, and I'm really into it. And I, and so I, I kind of, that was part of it. Right. And then, um, and, and, you know, I, I do say this comment that I know does trigger because it is it is a point of contention in in our household, right? Like I I I feel like sometimes um, we're spending for things we're not going to use or do, and I think we're just not being thoughtful enough about it. Mm -hmm. And I'm usually the breadwinner now, and so I I think about that a lot. Like, are we being conscious when we order things? Because it's so easy nowadays with Amazon, just any little thing, and it, it kind of drives me crazy to see how much. <laughs> you you got to see how much we donate every month just from stuff we bought from it you know that we've ordered and never used yeah. so 
which is fine. So I point this out and I think that that on her end, I, I just really needed to get the comment out. I would have played the game and gone along with it. Would have even been Clue. I just felt like I wanted to get it out. But uh, I, I didn't spend much time thinking after. I was very happy reading my book. And I, you know, um, but I, I do think my wife is still bothered about, you know, that I walked away and and uh, all that. And uh, and she was definitely triggered when I said that because she, she recognizes it's a point I, I brought up a lot and I'm not happy about, <laughs> but so we so, have to work through that, right? Well, as you're talking and, you know, reflecting and, you know, processing, working through, you're pretty clear. She's, she knows you. She probably won't be surprised. The gift is to say, Hey, honey, this is what was going on. Uh, you know, the book, the money. And it's a gift in the sense that when you own it and she knows, oh, he gets it, he sees, I wasn't out of line. It just helps things not stay sticky. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, it, 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 what I didn't tell you is afterwards, and the reason why I was able to read the book and enjoy it and everybody else played and they had fun is afterwards I did express okay. where I came from and she did. And oh, beautiful. Yeah. So it didn't actually, we've been happy. To, but I think you're, I, I love the way you phrased this uh, of, you know, it being a gift. Oh, yeah. And it immediately ended all the tensions and everybody beautiful. was good. Yeah. That's, that's the power of it. It's like we, when we fall out of sync, out of connection with each other, we protest, we jump up and down, we, yeah. you know, because it's a biologic imperative. We're sure. mammals. We need that, that we need that connection. We need to feel like we're attuned to each other. Yeah. You know, the bike wheel has to be true. We have to, you know, be true with ourselves. Right. Yeah. And Sarah, do you think that, you know, miscommunication or, or maybe even lack of communication is probably the biggest driver of, of issues that married couples have? Like, let's say like, yeah, like you mentioned earlier, oh, I'm pissed you didn't put the milk away. But really it's because, you know, deep down we feel like there's some kind of inequality between you do more of this and I do more of this and we're never really talking about that we're just but so we're letting it go as some meaningless little point of the day that doesn't even matter right I mean it's yeah we quote unquote let it go and that's fine but sometimes we are emotional accountants we kind of keep score you know, Adam, to your point of you do more and blah, blah. And it is communication, but underneath the communication is, are we or are we not securely attached? Because we're in the honeymoon phase and we're just vibing along. We can let all that little diddly stuff go because we just feel like we're completely aligned and everything's, you know, coming along, 
But when we get misaligned or misattuned, those little things become evidence or proof of some question mark internally about where do we stand with each other? Are we, are we securely attached or not is really what we're asking ourselves. And it comes out as the chore list. Yeah. That- Are there any exercises that, that you give to your clients to, yeah. I don't know, kind of help that communication on yeah. a regular basis? But what I just said, Adam, does that answer? Does that speak to what you were asking? Yeah, I think that was helpful. Okay. There's so many resources available. The Bible of my work is called Hold Me Tight by Dr. Sue Johnson. And it's very well researched. It's very readable. It's dialogue, case studies designed to illustrate different interaction patterns, but it provides a really good overview and sort of look at cognitive overview of the kinds of things that we're talking about now. So that's a really good resource. And just some of the things, understanding that relationships are cyclical. One person is gonna be the pursuer. One person is gonna be the withdrawer. You Mm -hmm. might change places. Doesn't, it's not a hundred percent all the time, but it's just something to think about. Am I pursuing? for contact, care, attention, or am I withdrawing and going, shutting down? And like I said, you can, within each person, I mean, I've been the pursuer, I've been the withdrawer, neither one is any fun, but just understanding some of those dynamics, I think is just, really good, helpful life skill stuff. Hmm. And it happens in all relationships. You know, not just at home, but out there in the world as well. Yeah, I'm even thinking as you're talking about some of the the misalignments I feel like I have right now in my business relationships, right? Mm-hmm. And how I haven't understood how to... Um, what 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 is the align the misalignment here, like with my business partner or my agent or what have you, and and how do we get them back in alignment so we're, you know, a high performing team, right? So, I mean, at home it's different, but at work, it might be okay to just put it out there, you know that you know you don't have to sometimes framing the dilemma is more powerful than solving the problem you know the collaborative approach or the intention setting you know that's invitational that's sometimes that works all the times i think So how uh 
like to tie this back into running if I could. Oh yeah. A little bit. Unless Adam, you have any more. No, go for it. Yeah. Just wondering um what uh how is so you've been I know it's a big part of your life, both both your practice and running is. How how do you feel like one helps the other? <laughs> uh it's funny because I I can only think of one other therapist that is also a runner. Huh. I kind of feel like a unicorn hybrid in a lot of ways in my life. I have a foot in both camps a lot in my life. Um, but my work is very serious, responsible, emotional, skill, head, but it's not physical. And I, I have to have a way to, you know, get some of that physicality to feel balanced. Yeah. And just be outside. And it's just, it would be such a missing piece without it. I'm wondering this because uh, I, I was kind of leading a little bit with the question. Cause I'll, I'll tell you for me, my favorite part of running actually are those long runs with a bunch of other people, right. Mm -hmm. And getting to know them, you know, yeah. our Saturday morning long runs. And that's how we've gotten to know each other and that's so many right. others. And, and I feel like I always say like, uh, you really want to get to know somebody, go run, go run long with them because after a mile in all the BS is gone. Right. There's, so nobody's true. putting up a front. You just yeah. can't. Um, so you're not trying to impress nobody. You all smell. You all look bad. You all. <laughs> right. It's like you're all hurting. And then it's so the only way to distract yourself is, is just to talk in, about yourself. Right. And I or, love that. Uh, it's, it's so real. Yeah. And. You know. It's just a, a great way to connect and absolutely. I don't know if I want to say suffer, but, you know, kind of suffer on the trail and yeah. push through. And it's, it's, again, it's unifying, it's bonding, it's joining, we're training together. That was one of right. the, I think training for the marathon was, I don't know, definitely as much fun as the race itself, you know, cause we're all just. Oh, I think it's more together. fun. Yeah. I love the training for it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's my favorite part. I actually get a little depressed by the time I get there because I know I have to fall out of routine in those runs with everybody. And yeah. I know there's it's just that sense of camaraderie just can't be beat. Sure. Yeah. So do you feel yourself being in your like on those long runs, being in your job <laughs> at all? Meaning are you acting, do you feel like you're acting uh, as a psychotherapist there at all? Never. No, not at all. No, I mean, one of the things is you, you have to know the limits and boundaries and expectations when I'm at work. Yeah. I don't really feel like it is work, but when I'm in my clinical moment, that's what I'm doing. You have 100% of my attention and decades of experience and all of that. Yeah. And I'm running. If someone asks me a clinical question, I'm going to provide my best answer. But 
they're not my patients. I mean, it, it's a it's just a different hat. And people a lot of times will ask me a therapy question and, oh, I don't want to, you know, take it. It's like, oh, this is why I do what I do is I love people's stories. It's yeah. not a burden um, available, but I'm not therapizing them. It, it, you can't have a, what we call a dual relationship. If you're my friend, you're not going to be my client or patient. It's just a different mindset. And that's what one of the things that allows longevity in the field. Otherwise, if you're always working, what a burnout. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Sarah, I have a question for you. And this can be, you know, through the lens of a psychotherapist or a runner or anything else in your life, really. But I'm sure, you know, in all areas, you see a lot of people that, um, you know, will say succeed or, or get through some kind of hurdle that they're they're working towards. And then okay. some people that don't make it. Do you see a common thread between the people that do make it and, and you know, the anti of that thread be, between the people that don't? Yay. Oh, good. I'm glad that. Thank you. Yes. Resiliency is genetic. So that's a big factor. If you have at least one secure attachment figure, it inoculates you against so much of the other. Can you say that again? I'm sorry. Can you, if you have one secure attachment figure oh okay like someone that you can really count on that has your back that's consistent that you know if you have we need at least one secure attachment figure to really do well and if we have resilience self-efficacy which means i can because i think i can some kind of sense of someone believes in me and <clears throat> excuse me cares about me and now you said something interesting you said resiliency is genetic yeah do you feel like that's something that can be learned or at least improved by by doing something some kind of yeah, action another good question you some people are just resilient some people, not so much. Some people that are kind of more in the middle, they're gonna be more susceptible to their environment. You don't think there's a way to build resilience? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, there is. Is okay. that just from doing doing hard things over and over until you you, you gain the confidence that you can do it again or? Uh, well, again, it's the idea of self-efficacy, someone that believes in me, someone that has my back. Sure. You have to exercise the resiliency muscle, you know, and yeah. that's what it takes. Yeah. One, you know, when I was a kid, one of the big assignments at the beginning of the school year was, you know, my three wishes, like, you know, third grade or whatever. And it's like, I don't need three wishes. I only need one secure attachment because if you had secure attachment then you wouldn't have all the other stuff that goes wrong in the world and you would be able to exercise the resiliency muscle because you have a sense of connection belonging attachment 
I mean, it, it's inescapable. I, I can only see the world through that lens anymore. <laughs> but yeah, you definitely can build resilience. And it means facing your fears because when you really look at big picture, 30,000 foot zoom out, there are really two main feelings, love and fear. And love is kindness, attentiveness, respect. I mean, it's a big range, not just romantic love. And fear is what holds us back. Hmm. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm thinking about some of the guests we've had on that have, you know, gone through some stuff and, and turned their lives around. And I think what you say resonates with a lot of that. Like, like take, for example, you said you listened to the episode with Mark Owens and he, you know, was obviously in drugs and robbing banks and went to jail and all that. Right. And somewhere in, 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 <clears throat> he, he talked a lot about how, when there was somebody in jail that at one point said, Hey, you start doing the right thing. You can get out by 30. So he got attached to somebody. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And then there was a, but there's also the the piece where, he started remembering, you know, who, who he was as a kid and he's a good person. And so there was that self-efficacy that would that's maybe right. hidden away, but it, it, it came back. Right. Yeah. That's a perfect example. Yeah. 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 Interesting. Well, I think we're, uh, we're getting, to, we're getting to that point of the show where we have our famous uh, wayfinder four. <laughs> Let's <laughs> go. Yeah, so Sarah, tell us a hack. If you don't remember, that's a, an app or, you know, something you use in life to to cheat life, basically, to help you an app, a routine. Uh, well, um, I have, in the categories of body, mind, and spirit, um, I always have something in my car for the homeless, oh. you know, just to hand, give out whatever, my race swag or whatever. I have on my phone certain things that I like to remind me, myself of on daily repeat. Um, so I, I like to, like, the Buddha's final words were, be a light unto yourself. Like a quote, yeah. just a reading, mm -hmm. something like that. Yep. Yeah. And um, see, I have one more thought that I want to give you. It's really how you handle adversity, not what the adversity is. Again, this in resiliency can definitely be learned. I want to emphasize that. Just really trust your gut, listen to your body, follow the golden rule. Um, I don't know if that's winning or cheating at life, but more like a life credo that I've developed over time. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Now, can you name a, a favorite? This could be a a book or a movie or a podcast or anything that you just love spelling bee 
New York Times spelling bee game. Oh, okay. <laughs> Just okay. completely obsessed with it. Okay. I used to love spelling bees as a kid. <laughs> it's you have to um, unscramble. They give you seven letters and you have to find the words hidden. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. So what is something you would tell your 25-year-old self? Speak up. Trust your gut. Have adventures. I love that. Yeah. 20s is definitely a great time to just take some risks I, and have, have some fun. Yeah. Yeah. And don't believe everything you think. Don't let your fear hold you back. Surround yourself with good people. That would have been good to hear when I was 25. Absolutely. Yeah. Now, what do you think holds people back from being happy? Fear. Can you expand on that a little bit? It's the idea of love and fear, the two main feelings. Mm -hmm. Um, and all in everything in the fear category is limits, constrained. Um, yeah, it, it, it's fear, really. That's what it is. That's what holds people back. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. Well, Sarah, so, if people want to get a hold of you or see more about what you're doing, is there is there anywhere they can go to? to check you out or connect with you? Yeah, my website is sarahcohen.com and it's S-A-R-A-C-O-H-E-N, sarahcohen.com. Great. Okay. Easy yeah. enough. Yeah. Well, Sarah, we can't thank you enough for coming on. I, I It was great hearing your insights. This is definitely a slightly different perspective than a lot of our, our guests so far. So this, is, this has been really good from my perspective and I really appreciate it. Well, thank you. It's been fun. Yeah. Thank you for being here, Sarah. It's great to see you uh, yeah, outside you. of your running gear. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs> yeah. okay. See you on the trails. That sounds good. All right. We hope you've enjoyed the Wayfinder Show. If you got value from this episode, please take a few seconds to leave us a five-star rating and review. This will allow us to help more people find their way to live more authentic and exciting lives. We'll catch you on the next episode.